0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea.
3: Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. So happy to be back in the home office. And it feels like I've been away forever. And although being away forever has a lot of fun elements to it, pretty nice to sleep in your own bed after a little while. So it's been four plus weeks away mostly. I was home for four days of that. And uh, now as we record on... Wednesday morning, August 30. I'm joined by my partner Miles Simmons and and Miles, listen, you know, I I'm really excited about the start of this season for a few reasons. Uh not the least of which I love doing our podcast. But the other thing that I think is kind of exciting is that you know the table is set, everything it, you know, it was a relatively uneventful, with the exception of Jonathan Taylor, uh, time. But I, I think other than that, you know, it really wasn't a real newsy cut day. And so it just, to me, lends a lot of interest to what we're going to see in the next week as we get ready for week one. As we, As one PR guy was telling me the other day, This is our week zero, and that's exactly what it is around the NFL right now.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting time, obviously. You know, a lot of guys get cut. A lot of guys lose their jobs. But then, you know, you get the movement of people getting to practice squads, and it just starts to really feel like, okay, now this is the team – that's going to be going into the season. This is who we really feel like we are. And it's not just that everybody's around. We can kind of insulate ourselves, really start preparing for the things that we're going to need to do in order to win games instead of just making ourselves better as th- as teams do from the late July into late August. So I like this time of year. I like going into Labor Day weekend. I especially like now that the cuts come Early on in the week and we don't just have a huge slate of Thursday games and then Friday we've got to deal with stuff Saturday we've got to deal with stuff we have a nice little weekend that we can all take our time you know enjoy our families basically one last time before the gauntlet of NFL season really starts coming because it's 18 weeks plus the postseason and we all are just going to be in it for real.
3: We're going to be joined in a few minutes on the podcast this week by Geno Smith, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, I spent time with up in Seattle. And also I had a zoom conversation with Sean Payton, the coach of the Denver Broncos. I had planned to go to Denver, one of the newsiest, most interesting teams, but I just, I was under the weather and uh, had to skip a couple of camps in mid camp and, uh, So I missed out, but you'll hear from Sean Payton uh, here in a few minutes. Miles, let's get to three things that I believe are particularly newsworthy as we head into the guts of week zero, as we're now going to call it. So Jonathan Taylor did not get traded. It's a clear sign to me that the Indianapolis Colts said we want a one for Jonathan Taylor or a projected very high two in something else, and they never got it. So, first of all, the news, uh, ESPN has reported that both Green Bay and Miami uh, were trying hard to get Jonathan Taylor, could not do it. I find that a bit odd from Green Bay's perspective, Uh, not necessarily because he's not a great player, because Jonathan Taylor is a great player. But the Packers right now have one of the best one-two combinations at running back in football. And look, I thought all along that there was a good chance it was going to be Miami. I'm a little surprised that they didn't do it. But again, you're the Miami Dolphins. You're facing soon having to pay Tua. Do you want to get it? Uh, Do you want to do something that you didn't expect to do with your salary structure in devoting, say, $12 million a year to signing Jonathan Taylor. So I, I can understand why teams didn't do it, but now we head into this uneasy truce that there's going to be, and it may be a lot worse than uneasy, quite honestly, uh, with Jonathan Taylor, who, you know, the word on the street, Miles, is Jonathan Taylor is not injured, and that uh, the Colts are going to basically pay him For the first four weeks of this season, while he is away and he can get his head right so that for the last 13 weeks, they can get some good use out of Jonathan Taylor. But again, that's it's an unresolved situation. And if I'm the Colts, I really don't want to head into the season with the situation the way it is. But such is life.
1: Yeah, Jonathan Taylor still being on the physically unable to perform list or I guess being transferred to the reserve PUP list rather than, you know, the active PUP list as it is in the preseason is one of these things that just fascinates me. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff, I feel like, Peter, that, that has gone on with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts where, you know, you've got the team's owner kind of battling the player's agent on Twitter. And then you've got the team's owner coming out on the record and saying, Hey, you know, we've not offered a contract. And then uh, Jonathan Taylor is at practice every day, but he's in a hoodie and he just, he looks so discontented. You know, I just, yeah. I don't quite get what the in game could possibly be here for these two sides. And, and it's interesting because, you know, if, if, him being injured is not the was not the holdup, which is, apparently it was not in, in the trade. Like, are you really sure still if you're Miami or if you're Green Bay or maybe you were another mystery team that was interested? No. if the guy's not practicing and he's still coming off an ankle injury, and then he lands on the pup, like I, I, all these things, Peter. Like, I, I just I don't know. I, I it's hard for me to square all of them together. To add up to whatever this is, I, I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, I do on the one yeah. hand, but on the other, it's like they are all these separate little elements that just they don't seem to fit together to form a cohesive puzzle at all. So that's kind of where my brain lands when I'm thinking about Jonathan Taylor, the Colts, the Dolphins, the Packers, and whoever else. It just, it, I, I just, I can't quite square it, and I don't know where it's going next. Other than, I guess, the next checkpoint is. What happens week five when Jonathan Taylor's eligible to return? Does he actually come back? And then what happens at the trading deadline? Do, is there a team that makes the Colts an offer they can't refuse because they've seen what their running back situation looks like you know over the first, let's call it half ish of the season. and then they say, all right, well, we now know, what we could do by bringing in Jonathan Taylor and how much better that could make us, a la what the 49ers did last year when they brought in Christian McCaffrey.
3: Here's the interesting thing, I think, Miles. I I mean, I think everybody, after the deadline passed on Tuesday, the 4 p.m. deadline, that the Colts had arbitrarily, quite honestly, set as the time that, They wanted to have a resolution for Jonathan Taylor. Just hold on for a second and let's just think about something. Okay. There's no reason why the Indianapolis Colts couldn't trade Jonathan Taylor at some point in the next four weeks. Honestly, in the next seven weeks, you know, all the way up until the trading deadline, there's absolutely no reason. If it continues to be a stalemate between player and team, I would expect them to pick up the phone and call one of these teams again, maybe call both, maybe call more than two. So to me, Miles, I kind of look at this right now and I'm saying, all right, so let's see what happens if, let's say, uh, Raheem Mostert or or A.J. Dillon go down in the month of September, their loss for any significant period of time. Uh, I I mean, to me, this isn't over just because they say, yeah, we want to have a decision made. There's absolutely no reason that it has to be done. So I think if Jonathan Taylor continues to mope around, uh, I still think he, he could get dealt.
1: Yeah. And I think that that makes complete sense. You know, there is no trading deadline that happens in August. Like that's not really a thing, you know, when the season hasn't even started yet. So it, it was, it was a completely arbitrary deadline that the Colts kind of set, but in some ways it does make sense because it's like, you know, you have to make a roster decision on Jonathan Taylor On that Tuesday, whether it is, you know, you're going to have him active and be on the 53 or you're going to say, "Eh, you know, we're going to keep paying you and we're not putting you on the NFI as they sort of threatened to do earlier in the uh, in August or in uh, July when things sort of started coming to a head here. So I I don't know where this goes, I guess, is what I keep thinking. I mean. You know, if you're going to trade for Jonathan Taylor, then ostensibly you are saying that we value you enough to not just trade a premium pick for you, but also to come to have you come in and we're going to sign you to a deal that you think is good. So if you are Miami or if you're Green Bay, I mean, is that something that's really attractive to you? I, I guess to an extent it was, but not enough to give... The Colts, the kind of premium pick, so to speak, that they were looking for to move on from somebody who they value, but don't value enough from Taylor's perspective so that they can continue on in this relationship that they have with the long-term contract.
3: So that will bear watching. I think the one other thing that hit me as I followed along with the events on Tuesday, you know, the cut-down date, it was extremely uneventful. You know, usually <laughs> you see some really big names uh, are going to either be waived or cut. Uh, if you're a vested veteran with more than four years of experience, uh, you're not subject to the waiver system. You could, once you're cut, you can sign anywhere. But there's there were very, very few... Uh, very, very few names on this thing that really mattered, you know? And so to me, when I looked at this cut date, the one thing I said was what in the world are we going to be talking about all week? And the only (laughs) other thing that I thought of is I forget who tweeted it, but that the Minnesota Vikings are looking to trade Jalen Rager. And I just thought to myself, look, Jalen Rager, the most famous thing that happened to Jalen Rager is that the Philadelphia Eagles, a very, very smart organization, drafted him ahead of, uh, ahead of Justin Jefferson. And obviously, that's something that Howie Roseman, he told me in, in training camp, obviously, when you, when you make a mistake like that, it drives you. It really drives you to be better. And so I think one of the things that was interesting is, I said, who in the world would trade Jalen Rager? And it's just one of those things at this time of year that, you know, a team says, hey, we're trying to get something for Jalen Rager. And so obviously, it's a news item uh, that's going to be put out there. But it sort of strains the credulity to believe that any team in the NFL— would trade for him, and now Adam Schefter has reported that he will simply be released. And Miles, the one thing about this that, to me, is a bit of a cautionary tale now that, look, maybe Jalen Rager will catch on somewhere, but, I mean, the guy had eight catches for 104 yards last year. They draft Jordan Addison, even after losing Adam Thielen. K.J. Osborne, Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, and they got a couple of other young guys who they like. It's, uh, if you can't make a mark and you can't stay in a place that could use a little bit of receiver depth, that says it all to me.
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt, Peter. Me too. But, you know, it's not entirely surprising to me based on what we have seen in the past from rigor that he didn't necessarily catch on with the Vikings. You know, sometimes a guy does need that change of scenery and then he can come in and he can be productive and it can be this and it can be that, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to be working for him. And so when you aren't even going to get traded for a conditional seventh, you know, at this time of year like that to me speaks volumes to what the rest of the league thinks about him.
3: I want to get to just one other thing speaking of quarterbacks before we get to our conversations. And that is, even though it's a a tad stale right now, the trade that was made uh, after uh, last week's podcast was recorded, but the trade that was made by the 49ers trading uh, Trey Lance for a fourth round draft choice to the Dallas Cowboys and... As I wrote on Monday in my column in Football Morning in America, I just think it's a bad trade for both teams. I, I don't, you know, and the, and the 49ers seem to be kind of happy about getting a fourth-round pick. And look, the Dallas Cowboys the last two years have had the 129th overall pick, a low fourth-round pick, because the Cowboys have been good. The Cowboys are going to be good again their pick mm-hmm. in the fourth round is going to be somewhere underneath uh you know 120 somewhere after 120 so i mean like big deal you get the 129th pick in the draft for a guy who 2 and a quarter years ago you paid 31s for and you know i i, I just want to make one other point a lot of people have i've gotten a lot of reaction to what i wrote in in my column, and a lot of people said, "Well, geez, you know there were salary cap ramifications that you didn't even get into, which is true." And I probably should have at least mentioned that it rids them of five million on the cap next year. But you know the the the, the San Francisco 49ers are seven or eight million dollars over the cap projected to next year, and they still have to f- sign Nick Bosa, but. The Buffalo Bills are $25 million over the cap next year. The Miami Dolphins, $31 million over the cap next year. That's just a fact of life in today's NFL. You've got to fix your cap situation. Teams do it all the time. So I don't think the cap thing should be that big a deal. In my opinion, the 49ers have used three quarterbacks to start games in four of Kyle Shanahan's six years. It amazes me that a guy just brought into the system, Brandon Allen, you think is going to be better for your team this year than a guy you thought uh, two and a quarter years ago was going to be your franchise quarterback for the next 15 years. It's, a, it's an incredible story of how Trey Lance fell, but I think the 49ers just pulled the trigger too early on him. We haven't spoken about it, but what's your thought?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically what you said is why I thought that the 49ers would keep him for this year because they have used so many quarterbacks throughout Kyle Shanahan's tenure. You know, just the simple fact that you have one who, well, he may not necessarily be executing the system as well as you would like. He's still experienced in it. He is still familiar with it, right? So that makes him a better option as a third quarterback than many, many, many other third quarterbacks throughout the entire National Football League. And the other thing, too, when it comes to those salary cap implications, the 49ers have one of the cheapest quarterback rooms in all of football, and we don't think of that quarterback room as being a bad room, right? Their starter, Brock Purdy, literally the last pick in the draft, So think about what that means when it comes to slotted salary, right? And he's not even eligible for a contract extension until after next year. So when you have that guy, you have Sam Darnold, who's not on a very expensive quarterback contract. And then Trey Lance kind of add that all together. And it's like, okay, well, that's part of why the 49ers can do different things like sign uh, Jamon Hargrave, right? You know, when you bring in that guy at his, as a defensive tackle, arguably the top free agent in the NFL, well, they can do that because they have such a cheap quarterback room. And, you know, when you're talking right. about shedding $5 million of salary for next year, that's really not even that much when it comes to the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, you can say that the, the, the cap implications did this and did that. But I just – I felt like when you have somebody in Brock Purdy who, yeah, you trust, but he's not, you know – as uh, uh, proven. He's not bulletproof. He's thought.
3: not an, he's not right? an absolute. Yes.
1: Right. He's not. He's not. I mean, I I did. I think he was impressive from all the things we saw last year. Absolutely. But you never know what happens with a quarterback going into his second year. Sam Darnold also like we know who Sam Darnold is. I've been watching him since he was at USC. He turns the football over. That's just what he does. He's not always an accurate passer. I mean, he could be fine in Kyle Shanahan's system, but I'm not thinking he's going to revolutionize anything. But after that, you know, if an emergency happens, right, would you rather have Trey Lance? Would you rather have Brandon Allen? I mean, I, I don't know. I guess they would rather have Brandon Allen, or at least they'd rather have Brandon Allen and a fourth-round pick than Trey Lance and not a fourth-round pick, and that that calculus is yeah. just very interesting to me.
3: Yeah, I, I I agree. I just, some of it, and look, there is the thought that, look, Trey Lance is now a sunk cost. Get yep. rid of him. Get the headache out of there, I get it, but the thought that you believe that a guy in your system for now almost two and a half years is if you need to play a third quarterback this year is not going to be better than Brandon Allen who just got there this offseason. I mean, either... Trey Lance is the worst quarterback anybody's ever seen, which in the last preseason game, not the third one, but in the second preseason game, he played well. And look, you know, it's a little bit now of the dog chasing his tail that nobody's going to convince anybody. Nobody can convince me that this is a smart move, but we'll see what happens. We'll see who wins and and look, as crazy as this sounds, and it does sound crazy, but it's not unprecedented. Sixty-six percent of the time in Kyle Shanahan's career, he's had to play a third quarterback. So, I mean, if if Brandon Allen has to come in and play, this is gonna be the weirdest situation ever. He'll have the most pressure on him of any third string quarterback ever. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Because everybody will be saying, well, Trey Lance could have done better than that. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Listen, later in the podcast, Miles and I are going to come back and give you our thoughts about the Deshaun Watson situation in Cleveland. How will he play? He is a total, absolute mystery heading into the regular season. We're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to get into our conversations this week on the podcast Our first one is going to be with Seattle quarterback Geno Smith. Sat with him on a beautiful day uh, last week in Seattle, and he told me a few things about what he's going to do this year that are different from 2022. So here's my conversation with Geno Smith in Renton, Washington, with the Seahawks, and I'm here with Seattle quarterback Geno Smith and. Gino, I've got to start off by asking you, you're a confident person. We spoke almost exactly a year ago. You thought you were going to play well last year. But you were probably in the minority of people who thought that you were going to prove yourself. And you went out. You threw 30 touchdown passes. You threw for almost 4,300 yards. Far and away your best year as an NFL player. Were you remotely surprised at what you did last year?
4: Uh, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't surprised. Um, Honestly felt like I could have played better. You know, I felt like I left a little bit out there. And uh, I think that was like my motivation coming into the offseason is, uh, you know, try and get better. You know, I know I can be better. It was my first year starting in a long time. And, uh, you know, it was fun. I had a lot of fun.
3: Tell me if you can pick out, a time last year where you're playing the game and you said, man, I knew I could do this. Maybe nobody else did. Was there a game, especially early on, where you felt like, I mean, obviously a very emotional opening game, right. you know, when Russell Wilson comes back and you guys win. But when, when did it occur to you that, you know, hey, I can do exactly what I said I was going to do?
4: I mean, to be honest with you, I would say back in, like, 2016 when I was on the Giants, and then I would say uh, the year prior uh, when I, you know, got to start those three games here in Seattle, um, we went one and two, you know, but I had thrown, like, five touchdowns, one interception on a tip pass, um, and I just felt like the game had, you know, really slowed down for me. I felt like I had ownership of the offense. I knew exactly what, you know, Shane wanted to do and how Pete wanted to do things.
3: Shane Waldron, your offensive coordinator, yeah. And,
4: uh, you know, I just kind of felt like, um, I was being able to control the game more. Um, you know, something that I, you know, like I said, back when I was on the Giants, I started to feel that. And then when I got back in some action, um, you know, I think that was 2020 when I, when I played that three-game stretch. You know, I felt like I could control the game. And so coming into the next season, uh, you know, I just felt like from game one, you know, if I played the way that I intend to play, if I just be myself, um, then I'll be able to do some good things.
3: Were you... Ever thinking during the course of last year, man, I'm really glad I finally got this chance because this is really me.
4: Uh yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I thought, I think, you know, when Coach Carroll, after the Dallas game, you know, I played. Funny part about last year, I played 21 games. I played every single preseason game, every single snap in the regular season, and then the playoffs. And uh, I think after the the Dallas game, Coach Carroll named me the starter. And uh, that was it for me. You know, I was just appreciative of the opportunity uh, of him seeing something in me, of the organization seeing something in me to give me that opportunity. And uh, for me, it was just about going and proving them right. You know, I know that uh, they have a lot of faith in me and a lot of confidence in me, but I want to go out there and play the right way and, and make sure that everyone around here um, is proud of the way I play.
3: So let's talk a little bit about your offseason season and what you have done specifically this year to try to be a better player. You said you felt you left some things on the field. How do you think Geno Smith's gonna be better in 2023?
4: You know, I think it starts with, um, you know, in the off season, I really, you know, changed my diet. Um, You know, I wanted to be, you know, stronger, faster, uh, just a better athlete. And so it started with the uh, off season training didn't take a break from the season uh, what was
3: your di- okay so now what's your diet like what do you do so i've become
4: a, a full pescatarian i haven't uh, had chicken or beef in about four or five months now you miss it uh i don't i thought i would but i actually don't uh miss it um you know i've been eating really healthy really clean
3: you're uh, in the right city to be a pescatarian yeah, there's, a lot, there's
4: a, lot aren't you? a lot of great uh great uh food out here a lot of great fish and um, what is your what's your favorite fish um i love cod i love salmon um all of it, really. I try it all, but I, yeah. love, I love a few of them. And, um, you know, for me, like getting my body back right, you know, as I've grown, uh, my body's gotten better. I, you know, got a six pack again. I'm, you know, feeling stronger in the weight room. I'm waking up with a lot more energy, a lot more, you know, juice and, and just uh, attacking every single day. And so um, I, I think self-improvement is, is really where I'm at in my life. Um, constant self-improvement every single day is an opportunity to get better. Uh, i'm in the right place for that because coach Carroll preaches that uh, that's his mantra to compete every day and so the competition now is with myself um how much better can i get on a daily basis um how much stronger can i be how 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 consistent can i be in my footwork and my reads and my accuracy um and then just leadership you know every single part of my game's got to improve and, and that's um something i'm really taking ownership of
3: so what specifically in a football sense did you say to yourself, I really want to get better at X this year? And what did you work on throughout this offseason?
4: Uh, you know, really, I want to be a, a more mobile, using my legs a little bit more. Um, you know, I was great. I'm all, I've always been a great pocket passer. Uh, I still feel like I don't really, you know, do enough of the stuff on the move and enough of the scramble and um, some of the extra stuff that is not, you know, within the play. And so being able to create off schedule and then, um, you know, in the red zone, you know, being able to attack a little bit more in the red zone, score some more touchdowns, you know, 30 touchdowns was great, but I think, we could, you know, a bunch of those were just, you know, deep balls and outside the red zone. So if we could can, you know add to that by having more touchdowns in the red zone our offense becomes that more efficient and explosive and then um you know third downs you know third downs is a critical down in the nfl and uh it's the money down uh for both sides and so being able to be one of the better teams in third down uh, that will help us, uh, you know, allow us to stay on the field longer and keep our defense off the field. And, uh, you know, when you talk about complementary football, that's what we want to do. You know, we want to make sure that we're playing complementary football and doing all the things that are necessary to winning. And um, those are some things that I feel like I could have gotten better at.
3: The other day I watched your preseason game against Dallas and saw Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah. you know, really show up on the field. Tell me what you have seen in him and tell me what you think he will add to this offense
4: uh you know from day one he's just a natural you know catcher of the football he can track it he's all hands he catches everything with his hands um, he, he's a great route runner uh, for for his size and stature he's very tough he plays a lot bigger than his size says you know I know a lot of people like to harp on his speed but um, he's running past a lot of really fast guys. And so he's got that football speed, that knack to making big plays that you look for. He understands the game really well. And, um, you know, with the guys that we already have, he's a great complement to our offense. You know, you got a true X receiver in DK Metcalf, who, you, you know, you better double him or he, he can go off. You got a true Z or or a guy that we can move around in Tyler Lockett, who's been a consistent, you know, thousand yard, 10 touchdown guy in this league for nine years now. And so you add uh, Jackson, and then the tight ends that we have, and then the running back room that we have, along with this young offensive line that's just growing, and in my opinion can be one of the best in the league, um, it makes a QB's job a lot more easy. And so Jackson is a great complement to this team, and he's also
3: a humble young man, and so we we enjoy having him. I want to ask you a little bit about your mental process. And and basically, I'm sure that you have had some young kids And I'm sure you've counseled some young kids, but I wonder a story like yours where you came into the league and you played early and then you go almost a decade without being a regular starter in the NFL. And I wonder what advice do you give to young players or or even just young people who hear about your story?
4: You know, I think the important thing to do is to take ownership not make any excuses, um, not look for a cop-out, don't look for any excuses. Instead, um, find ways to get better. Find uh, reasons to get better. Find your why. You know, why do you do this? Um, that will keep you in it when maybe no one else believes. And then, like I said, man, just owning, owning every single little mistake. You know, if it's something that you did that caused it to happen, you got to own up to it and then get better from it. That's the only way to learn. And, uh, yeah, I've been able to talk to a lot of young guys and a lot of guys on this team who – are probably in a similar position that I was in, where, you know, they feel like they are capable starters, but haven't gotten the opportunity. And, you know, if you can, if you let that consume your mind, um, then you'll miss out on the opportunity to work for it. So, just train as if you already are. Believe in yourself. Um, the ultimate confidence comes from within. It, it should never come from, you know, anyone on the outside. And, um, you know, be a self-starter. Getting up at, you know, 6:00 a.m., going to the gym writing notes, studying, um, reading, you know, all those things, you have to do it. No one can tell you to do it. And so uh, I just took ownership of everything, and I made sure that when my opportunity came, I'd be ready for it.
3: If I asked you one or two things you learned when you were not playing that have made you a better player, what, what did you learn by watching and by being around other quarterbacks? Um, I would say you know one of the things I
4: learned is um, the importance of note taking. Uh, I'm very very um, particular in the way that I write notes and, and take notes. And, How do you write notes? Are you, are you very specific? Very very specific, and um, I, I have I mean piles and piles of notebooks over the course of the years. And if you, you know I, you know one day we may have to go through them, and, and, <laughs> and you guys will see that um, day by day. I you know consistently. Taking notes, even if it's something that I know already, I'll write it down. As if I don't, you know, and I I listen to what Coach says. I'm, I'm, I'm big on being coachable. You know, I want to be coached. I want to be pushed. And so, um, the amount of notes that I take, it just allows me to, you know, remember things way better than if I didn't take notes. And um, another thing that I learned just from the quarterbacks I've been around is uh, the importance of leadership and and positive leadership. Um, Everyone's got a different style. Everyone comes from a different place. Uh, everyone reacts to things differently, but everyone needs that person that's positive and uplifting and gonna, you know, make them believe that things are gonna be great, even if it's not looking good. Yeah. And um, you know, that that's something I really learned from Russell. Man, he's got that unwavering belief, and you know, I I I, I uh, uh, commend him for that because that's, you know, that's something that I didn't always have, and I've learned that no matter what it looks like, you can always find a way. And so, um, those are two things I've learned.
3: We'll end with this. You had to have had a moment with Pete Carroll after last season during this off season. You had to have a moment where not just maybe gratitude for giving you this shot, but maybe gratitude from him as well for having shown faith in you and you really gave that faith back and you performed exactly how this team thought you could at your peak. Have you had a moment with Pete to talk about that?
4: Uh, I think every day for us is that moment. You know, knowing how Coach Carroll is, he always says it man anybody can do it one time you know it's what are you going to do next you know we're not focused on what we did in the past uh instead we're looking looking forward to just you know living the moment and today's another opportunity for us to get better it's a tell the truth monday <laughs> we're out here you know uh, on the on the lawn and um we're just focusing on a day-by-day what is by it tell process. the truth monday tell the truth monday is uh, what we do after games and uh we go in there into the meeting room and um, we assess what the game was like, whether it's good or bad. We, we tell the truth about it and, and um, we don't hide from it. We don't run from it. Instead, we look at ways to get better. And so uh, the gratitude for us is the, the fact that we get to come in and do this thing every single day together. I'm very appreciative of, of Coach Carroll and, uh, and this organization in this city. And uh, I'm grateful um, just for being here. And so I want to show that gratitude with my hard work every day. And, uh, you know, just with my humbleness. And so I hopefully, uh, you know, that's something I'm doing.
3: I think you and the 49ers could have a pretty good battle with this division this year. What do you think?
4: I think so. They're a great team. They're a great team. Uh, they had a great year last year. Um, they're returning a lot of great players. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, right, right there, right there fighting for it. So
3: uh, I look forward to those matchups. Gino, good luck. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. And we'll be back after this Happy to be joined by Sean Payton today, fresh off the practice field out in Denver. And Sean, I wonder how you feel when you look at yourself in the mirror and you're in orange instead of black and gold. Is it still weird to you or are you used to it now? Um,
5: I I think you get used to it. Um, Obviously, you know, I'm kind of one of those guys that doesn't like clutter. And so that involved a lot of purging of black and gold. of just you know 16 years of gear and uh (laughs) my wife's worse she's she's she keeps everything you know and I have to intervene when she's out of town and just take stuff you know um but no I I think uh you know periodically something comes up and you'll be like wow I just said that and I really meant to say Broncos or something you know and and uh but it's it's going well um you know, people ask, hey, how, how are you getting adjusted to the city? And and so I haven't really seen much of it. You know, we we got a house in Cherry Creek, uh, 20 minutes from the facility. You know, I kind of know the to and from there. Tomorrow's our first time at the stadium. And it's not just my first time because our first two preseason games were on the road, but there's quite a few players. And I gave them the breeze story, you know, in 06, we weren't, at home for any preseason games and so then we were on the road week one and week two and it's atlanta monday night and my big concern was no one's really taken a ride to the superdome and you know two hours before the game everyone has to be there and there's going to be a lot of traffic you know with bon jovi or uh, yeah bono and green all of that and uh and there's breeze stuck in traffic 15 minutes away from the superdome we have to send a trooper out to get them and then it gets worse he was driving back then those old oh it was a range it was a land rover like you used to see at mutual of omaha's wild kingdom with a rack on the top and it was an old kind of typical drew Brees vehicle and we get to the stadium and you got to pull into the parking garage it's concrete you know a height restriction and he's running late he pulls in and wedges his Land Rover in the concrete. And so it's stuck. The wheels are, and he literally stops. He leaves the keys in the seat and tells him I got to go in. And it's, it's wedged in this entrance and I'm in the hallway and I'm thinking, you know, Drew's usually four hours before a game, very routine driven. And here it is two hours and three minutes before. And I'm like, Hey, we got a game here, you know? And, And so, well, we didn't have a preseason game to navigate the logistics. So fortunately for, for not only our players, for coaches, this is our first time, you know, driving to the stadium. So um, I hope
3: you told your guys the story of Steve Gleason and what happened in that game. One of the great yeah. games you ever coached.
5: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it was more than, it was more than just football that night, but yeah, um, it'll be, it'll be nice to play at home game um, and all of us to, See the locker room, the logistics of where we park, all those things you know that you hope to accomplish in preseason.
3: So, Sean, I, I we have not talked in probably six weeks, but you know you had a you had sort of a weird beginning there with the uh, with the Nathaniel Hackett stuff and the the Jared Bell interview, and I wonder as you look back on that, do you say, "Man, I was out of practice being a head coach." And uh I uh I said something I shouldn't have said and I don't know why I did it. Why did you do that? Was it just a mistake?
5: Yeah, it, it was. And and look, it wasn't Jared or anyone else. Um I regret it and and I said that much so the next day. Um I think there's this buildup, you know, all the time of you know, my mom used to say, you can only take a pound of flesh from somebody in and, and whether it was Russell or the team or the coaching staff. And, and my real, my point was really, there were a lot of, there were a lot of people that didn't have their best year and it wasn't yeah. now, obviously the attention always gets thrown at the quarterback and the head coach, but that that was really the gist of it. And, and certainly, um, you know, the, I needed a little bit more filter, <laughs>
3: Tell me now that you have been with, with Russell Wilson for four or five months. Tell me what he's been like to work with. What's what's your initial impressions of him?
5: Yeah, I've been impressed, um, I would say, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think the first thing, it's easier for others to notice it more than me, but his weight's down to, man, he's 2'12", 2'13". I, I would say he's moving really well. Um, one of the things he's always done exceptionally well is, is deliver the ball off schedule. A play breaks down, you know, he can go get 18 yards or he can flush the pocket and find. And so with a quarterback like that, the receivers and tight ends and running backs get in tune to, Oh, here it goes. We're on the second part of a play. What are our scramble rules? because it happens more with him than maybe other guys that you've worked with or other guys in the league, but he's, he's exceptional in that area. Um, We played San Francisco the other night and he's got, you know, three or four plays that get, get us a first down. And when the pocket opens up maybe and, and the rush lanes aren't perfect. So, um, and then I would say the time he's here in the morning till the evening, very much like drew relative to, you know, the great players that that position in our league work at an extremely different, different level. You know, that you've seen them. And, and so his work ethic is, is fantastic. And then there's, there's kind of an excitement with him and, uh, and it's kind of contagious. I think that he's had a good off season, Um, man, the last two weeks of training camp, he's, he's, He's really played well in in the practices, and the, you know the people that are here watching every day see it. We had two good days with the Rams yesterday and the day before uh, with Sean McVay and his team. Um, they were in that was that was invaluable and and event free, quiet, you know, just like you want as a coach, you know, without all the chippy fighting and everything. And and so, but I, I've been I've been really impressed with with how he's playing, how he's throwing the ball his arm strength, all of those things. I'm excited for him. I think he, um, I think he's really excited and I think he feels like he's moving better and, he, and he's throwing, you know, all those things. And I think, um, you know, there's that, the, the unique thing, and you and I have talked about this before, um, as players change, it falls on us as coaches to do the things that they do best, and so with Kerry Collins in New York, it was one thing, or Quincy Carter in Dallas, or Bledsoe, or Breeze, or Taysom Hill, or Teddy Bridgewater, and the same thing applies with uh, with Russell. You know, doing all the the studies of Seattle, the things that he he's done exceptionally well, having a vision for stuff that we think he's going to excel at. It's our job to to put those players in those positions. Um, we did a study, I started down a road here and it kind of became a little bit of a rabbit hole of cutting up touchdowns in new Orleans from 21. It was going to be five years and then it went to 10. And then pretty soon it was 16 years of 807 touchdowns. And of those 807, we, we might've clipped 400 and they're perfect plays. This is a, this is a cut up where every play ends in a touchdown. All right. And so going through some of those cut ups and not only for Russell, but for some of the other players like, hey, this is um, this is how you play away from the ball. You, You know, for the screens to go for 40 yards and a touchdown, it's more than just the offensive lineman and the running back, Marcus Colt, you know, and it's it's for me, it was it was kind of nice because, man, when you do that, it thing became longer and longer, but all of a sudden you're coming across ideas that you forgot about right. <laughs> and you're like, "This is still good. I don't know. What, I don't know what happened or where I was. Why did we stop doing this and all of it with the eye of how does it fit Russell? And, um, and so that 807, by the way, in 16 years is the most in the history of the NFL of any 16 year stretch ever and so
3: 807 touchdown passes no just
5: 807 touchdowns Touchdowns, so the ultimate cut cut up peter was run clips screens Mm -hmm. naked boots play action pass goal line red zone there's about eight of these reels that have all these thoughts that we can we can grasp and show and so I didn't take all 807, the 400 were perfect pictures. But the other thing in that exercise that was interesting, and, and, and I don't care if it was in 06, where it was Colston and Bush, or, and then it was Graham or Sproles, there were the star quality players, but there were a ton of best supporting actors. And that's our league. And, and so as we're working through our receiver depth, you know, let's paint the perfect picture for the queue, Cortland Sutton, jerry judy you know uh, we've got a handful of weapons and and they're going to appear on that reel but as you know that there's going to be keith kirkwood austin carr there's going to be uh, dan arnold tommy lee lewis uh terrence copper uh the, the different backs the, the team you, you don't get four robert de niro's in your offense you got to have some best supporting actors and so i think it's it's good to see that as a coach, but it's also great for us to be able to resource that. Um, and that's, that's a long stretch, you know, and so 807, 16 years, the next was, I think, New England, obviously, and there, and, and we love cutting them up. And then it went to Bill Walsh's 49ers with Montana and Young in the 700s. Um, and so, because you ask the question, do we want to be special? This is what it takes for for a run. You know, anyone that has a long run in our league on a Sunday, a thirty eight yard touchdown run. There's a lot happening down the field. You know, you, you've got to handle the safeties and the corners. So, um, it's kind of been a it's kind of been fun starting over. You, you know, you you're literally starting again building a new program, and these guys have been fantastic. The players, the organization, everyone, the, the, the supporting cast is fantastic, and uh, and I'm excited about it.
3: John, one, one more thing about Russell Wilson, and I'll, I'll let you go. So two years ago, in the 2020 season, I should say now three years ago, but in the 2020 season in Seattle, he's a 69% passer who throws 40 touchdown passes. Last year, he's a 61% passer and throws 16 touchdown passes. Doesn't run as much. Uh, Seemed to me anyway to have really lost some confidence as the year sort of went down the tubes. What do you see from Russell Wilson in his absolute prime to last year? And can you fix it?
5: Yeah, and I think, look, I can't tell you it wasn't broken, but there were so many things that went into that. And I think the first thing we felt we needed to do was really overhaul and look at the offensive line. And we went out and spent money on Powers and McGlinchey, and we got a young right guard we like, a center from LSU, the left tackle, uh, who's, who's playing well. You know, that position group permeates your building. And so the two greatest allies for good quarterback play are a running game and good defense. If you have trouble running the ball and stopping people, that player is going to be up on the high dive quite a bit. And so I think uh, I don't see any, I don't see any physical limitation that's different from 20 or even 21. I, I see that player. And so not rehashing last season because clearly it it was different. All of us saw it and and it was like, it was almost like the weekly update, you know, and I get it, you know, because look, you and I both know what sells, you know, it's the, it's the, the fantastic stories or the holy cow, what's going on? You know, everything else in the middle doesn't. And I would say this, he's going to be a lot closer to those 2021 numbers than he Mm -hmm. was the 2022 numbers. Um, and, and just because I'm seeing it now, we play in a tough division and there's going to be tough weeks and all sorts of hurdles. But, um, but I, 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 I understand the question. And and honestly uh, I, I like what I'm seeing a lot. And I would say even I've been pleasantly surprised, like, wow, the arm talent and, and the throws down the field, he's always thrown a really good deep ball. But I do think he's moving a lot better, Peter. I think his weight last year was 10 to 15 pounds heavier and and and, and it wasn't what you were or I were accustomed, accustomed to seeing. And I at Fox, right. you know each week we would cover the games and talk about him. and uh, And then you know, there's something powerful about a guy with a chip on his shoulder. And I experienced that uh, with my last quarterback when when he injured his shoulder. He got released from the chargers. there were two teams really that had interest. Um, one kinda had interest and then we were the ones saying, hey, we're all in and and I think I think that's a a pretty significant motivating factor in in and I take that very seriously for him, meaning hey let's let's go let's go do the things that you do well regularly and and let's win you know, ultimately it's about winning. And so, you know, if Teddy Bridgewater finished 22 of 31 and we won by 21 to 18 or whatever, in two weeks, it was just a win. And, and that's how, that's how we're all ultimately measured. And, uh, and I know he's a winner.
3: Sean Payton, listen, good luck. You're going to be fun team to watch. You got a fun quarterback to watch. It'll be a fun coach to watch. So enjoy the season. Come, come out and
5: visit us. We'll uh, we'll put you in the quarterback meetings, and we'll, we'll come up <laughs> with some. We'll come up with some new plays that have never been run before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen that.
3: I've seen that before. And, I don't know uh, that we have
5: anyone that can play the piano like Austin Carr. No, but outside of that.
3: <laughs> I remember you said after that time in. I guess it was 2018. You said here's a guy who's going to be president of the United States one day, Austin Carr. Yeah. What a guy he was. Yeah. yeah.
5: Anyway. Well, he, did, he had, he had his training camp in new England and he was released. And we picked him up on waivers, you know, and just to see, and he found a niche, you know, and we, we kind of knew the things he did well. And every time he'd catch a touchdown in a game, I'd get a text from Brady. Like what on earth are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, that's pretty good. Hey, listen, enjoy it. Thanks a lot, Sean. Thanks, Peter.
0: Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a foxoliner, moxidectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. Nexgard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.
3: My thanks to Geno Smith and Sean Payton for their time. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see Sean Payton's impact on Russell Wilson Um, I think it's already fairly encouraging that Russell Wilson uh, has a much lower profile and as people around that building and people who cover the team have sort of indicated in the last month or so, there's just a lot less clutter and a lot less noise around Russell Wilson than there was a year ago. So, be very interesting to see how that uh, pans out. The most interesting quarterback situation right now, miles, in the NFL, I believe and look, we can talk about Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, that's a fascinating thing. We talk about Russell Wilson. That's a fascinating thing. Lamar Jackson coming back. Oh, there's a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo. you know, can Brock Purdy stay upright? But to me, the most interesting quarterback situation in football right now. Is Deshaun Watson in the Cleveland Browns? And look, I thought it was very interesting that uh, after the cutdown, uh, you know, the Cleveland Browns essentially uh, now seem to be in the market for maybe a fourth quarterback, and you know, you wonder why would they once they decided to keep Kellen Mond, if indeed. You know, they are going to keep Kellen Mond. He's on the roster now. Um, well, he w- they're in the market come, for another he's quarterback. He's going to have to come
1: through waivers. Because they did, they did, yes, did yeah. waive Kellen. Yeah. So okay, they waived waivers, him, but they plan to yeah, bring him he,
3: back. Yeah, on the practice squad. And and, yeah. and and I would be really surprised if he doesn't come back, yeah. at least on the practice squad, if not as the third quarterback. But probably you're right, probably on the practice squad. But the fact that they're they're looking for a fourth quarterback, you know, I, I I just it raises eyebrows with me about whatever form of contentedness they have right there with Deshaun Watson. And and look, I was there in the summer, uh, early on in camp, and uh, he's getting defended and. There's a lot of pro Deshaun stuff. Uh, the, the crowds were very Watson-friendly, even though there's still a lot of people in the city uh, who were angry at the Browns for, for picking him up and, and then obviously paying him uh, a ridiculous amount of money. But, Miles, you have roots in Cleveland. You have friends in Cleveland. What do you sense is the feeling there about whether Deshaun Watson is going to revert to form or whether he's going to struggle.
1: Well, it is all about Deshaun Watson and the unfortunate thing maybe is unfortunate or maybe it's not, I don't know. But it, the, the thing about that is we can say this about many teams, right? But as the quarterback goes, then that's the way the team is going to go. So, they did do a lot of other things to try and improve the team, right? I think bringing in Jim Schwartz was a good move as defensive coordinator, only going to make that defensive front more aggressive. That should only help a guy like miles Garrett. You know, obviously you still have Denzel Ward, who is one of the really good corners in this league, you know, and the Browns need him to hopefully come back from that concussion sooner than later. Um, But at the end of the day, it's all going to be about whether or not Deshaun Watson can revert to even 85%, right. Of what he was before he was suspended for 11 games and missed the season before, as he was still with the Texans. I mean, it's been a long time since we saw Deshaun Watson play at an elite level. That was in 2020, you know, I mean, it was 2019 in that season When they went to Kansas City, got up 24 to nothing, and then ended up getting blasted 51 to whatever, 30-something, whatever that was in the AFC uh, Divisional Round playoffs. So that's kind of the last time that we saw good, good Deshaun Watson. I don't know if we're going to see that at that level, but if you have a guy like Nick Chubb who can run the ball as effectively as he can... You know, you have somebody like Amari Cooper who is a very talented receiver who can do a lot of different things. They seem to be extremely excited about Elijah Moore and everything that he can do in that offense and, you know, be a, a do-everything kind of guy. That That's reason to be excited, especially David Njoku. You know, for everything I read from Cleveland, you know, he can't be covered. You know, and that's something that they took advantage of, um, you know, in that last preseason game as he was getting open. So – I don't know where it's going to go, but I do know this. If Deshaun Watson's not performing up to a standard, they're not going to get rid of Deshaun Watson. They're going to get rid of the coach because that's the way these things work, right? You've paid Deshaun Watson already. That salary is guaranteed. Deshaun Watson's going to be there. And then they're going to try to find somebody who can fix him, right? Or fix the offense around him. And that may cost the coach, Kevin Stefanski, his job if it doesn't work. So the the Browns need this to work in order to keep this stability and whether or not Deshaun Watson is elite again, or above average, very good. And especially in a competitive division like the AFC North, man, it's at least going to be a very fascinating story to play out over, you know, the next 18 weeks.
3: So this is what we know about Deshaun Watson. He sat out, 100 weeks before playing the last six weeks of the season last year. And those 100 weeks were spent in probably the most mentally high stress times that a quarterback would ever have to deal with, or a human being would ever have to deal with. I am not throwing any empathy his way. I'm just saying that, you know, he came back and you have to think that football, maybe it was the first thing on his mind, but he had to have other things on his mind. He played six games. He played more poorly than good. Mm -hmm. The Cleveland Browns averaged 16.3 points per game in the six games he played. And so everybody around Cleveland just said, hey, what do you expect? Uh, He's been through a lot. And he hasn't played football in so long. So now, I'm not sure that it's great that he then has, after that, nine months to practice, throw the football around, do all that. I mean, this guy needs to play football. And obviously, there's no games in March, April, and May. So we simply don't know now. He sat 100 weeks, then he played six mediocre games, Now he sat and practiced uh, for nine months and now he comes in again. I just, I don't have a lot of indication right now that he's going to be great. He might. And he has been great before and he's still very young, but I need to see it miles. Yeah. And I just don't know if we are going to see it.
1: I I don't know either. And you know, I mean, it's, it's a situation of Deshaun Watson's own making, right? He is responsible for yeah. his actions, you know, and he's responsible for not playing for as long as he did because of course, I mean, first, you know, we, it's so fascinating to me too how we got into it. Right. Peter. Cause it was like, okay, well, Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play for the Texans anymore. He doesn't want to pay for the play for the Texans anymore. And then you get, To hear, like, accusation after accusation after accusation of sexual misconduct and assault. And you're like, holy crap, what in the world? And then he sits out for a year. And then, you know, there are no criminal charges filed. So four teams line themselves up and supplicate themselves at his feet to say, hey, please come play for me. And then he tells the Browns they're out. And the Browns are like, hey, we'll guarantee your entire salary. And then, boom, okay. well man, if that's the case, of course I want to play for you. But it was never really about the salary. But, yeah. I'm sure that's really the case. I mean and then you know we get the suspension for um for that in 11 games and they came up with that as a settlement but it's just it's it's fascinating to me how we got to this point, you know? And I I don't like you said I I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I do know that what happens when players don't play up to expectations is usually it it falls on the coach, you know? And that's one of the interesting things where the Browns are very different than what we expect from the Broncos say, if Russell Wilson doesn't play up to snuff, right? I mean, you already got rid of one coach and Nathaniel Hackett did not do a good job of coaching uh, the Denver Broncos last year. I mean, and, that is it's not just one guy you know it's not I I frankly don't think it was just Nathaniel Hackett certainly Russell Wilson is responsible for many elements of his own performance but now you bring in a Sean Payton and you say okay we know you can coach so what can you do with him right it's different with the Browns because it's not I mean we think Kevin Stefanski can coach you know he was coach of the year in 2020, his first year with the Browns, that's the first time the Browns have won a playoff game I mean, since the mid-1990s, back when they were the Ravens, which is another subject that I don't necessarily want to go into because it hurts me personally. But when you have that situation, you, you think Stefanski can coach. You know, he did good things with Baker Mayfield, then Baker Mayfield falls off the cliff, so then you bring in Deshaun Watson. I I, yeah. I don't know where it's going to go, but like you said, I mean, it. It's fascinating because of that element. And if Stefanski cannot get Deshaun Watson to play at a decently high level, then I think we could be talking about another Browns coaching search in
3: January. Well, we certainly have that to look forward to miles Simmons ought to be a good time (laughs) in Cleveland. If that happens. So, so uh, that's going to be it for this week's podcast. We, touched on a few topics you heard from some interesting people and um we're going to be back next week with our predictions edition of the Peter King podcast Miles Simmons and I he doesn't even know this yet but he is going to give his predictions the exact same way uh, as I am and also next week you will hear very interesting conversation I had with Cam Jordan of the New Orleans Saints on the training camp trail One of the smartest, most interesting players in the NFL. You'll really, really enjoy that. But for now, that's going to be it for this week's edition of the Peter King Podcast. So glad you're able to join me. And uh, next week, we will actually be previewing games that matter. So that'll be a very, very, very good time. Thanks a lot for experiencing the Peter King Podcast this week. And we look forward to seeing you again next week.